Congratulations, you found Tofty. Too old for that, yeah. I'm Karen Howie. And I'm Sue O'Brien. Tofty, Tofty, G-O-F-T-Y, Tofty, Tofty. This is episode four of Tofty, Karen, and it's going to be a little bit different. We've got our segments. We love our segments. Yeah, we have to have a segment. Yes, so we've got Blabber Chat, but it will be a little bit different than normal. Oh, good. Yes, I know, surprising, isn't it? And then in the big brain bit, we are actually going to talk about a book that's very special to us. Oh, it is. This book is really special. Yes. Listeners out there. In and Radio then, Land. Yes, in Radio Land. <laughs> and then, yes, we're stepping outside of Australia now and backyards and um, bee hotels and chooks and we're moving on to Japan. Yes, beautiful Japan. Beautiful. So yes. it's going to be an exciting episode yes. and here comes the Blubber Chat theme. Yay! Yay! Oh, now we haven't played the entire Blabber Chat uh, jingle because it does go on a bit, so we might just do mm, snippets from now on. But also we can't play it because it says we have a guest and that's fake news. That's an absolute lie. No, we don't have a guest. We were looking for a man, remember? We didn't yeah. succeed. No one will come. No, we, we <laughs> had no man. We've no, got no nobody. woman. No woman, no. This so it's week. just us. It's just us. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, so I'm going to reach under my chair and pull out a more appropriate jingle. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Do that one. I'll what do is that it? one. All right. <laughs> here something. it is. Here, here it, it is. is. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> we had a notion, and so we set the wheels in motion. Blabber Chat is going to be all about us and how Karen and I met and it was about 50 years ago. Oh, that's, that hurts. And my primary school finished in uh, at the end of year eight or form two in the old language. So off I went with a group of girls from Yarraville to Mount St. Joseph in Altona, a girls' school. So we ended up sitting next to each other, I think, in year 10 in um, a, a geography class and all we studied was glaciation. Like it felt like we studied it for an entire year and our eyes were rolling back in our heads and we looked at each other and started laughing, I think. But uh, And I'll tell you what though, 30 years later when I went on a tour of the Franz Joseph Glacier, I knew all the terminology. In fact, I, you know, I was a glaciation expert. So that teacher really uh, taught us well. And the same teacher also taught us 
dancing in the hall. Yes, I remember that distinctly. Yeah, yes. and remember, oh, the controversy with, we, I think it was the progressive jive. Oh, I love and the, the progressive song, jive. Yeah, I know. It was my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> and the song was Judy in Disguise with glasses. That's right. And, and then there, there was, was the that line. line. The line, the line. The line. Cross oh. your heart. With a living bra. Oh. We used to crack up over that. That remember? was just so naughty. I Can know. you imagine? It how innocent our lives were. Then. Oh, how innocent they we were. were. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. We, we, so, we suddenly realised there was somebody else in the world. Isn't that a marvellous moment in life when you do find that, that there's someone else who's mad like me? Yes. Yes. So we then, um, yeah, so then from then on we sort of seemed to wreak havoc around the school and and keep laughing and yeah. having a nice time. And people put up with us and even enjoyed our company sometimes. That's right. <laughs> Were you in the school play? Oh, the school play. No, I did the lighting. Oh, you did the I didn't know you did the lighting. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. I was the lighting person. Mm. Well, that would have been 1971-ish, One. I think. That's right. yeah. And, of course, it's an all-girls school. So what do you choose for a school play but a Captain Cook pageant? Yes, that's right. <laughs> and you were Captain Cook. I was Captain Cook. <laughs> you all know your duties. I need not detail them again. No. And, you know, Sue was so good as Captain Cook that oh, we all thought you. she was Captain oh, Cook. Oh, it was actually him. <laughs> she was actually him. She was the living embodiment oh, of Captain Cook. I, d- I, mean, oh, oh. I don't know how I got that gig, Karen, because I was actually quite shy at that time because I had the Coke bottle glasses and it was a bit tubby and everything. So I don't know how that happened. Yeah, you had to wear breeches. And, I did. I and did. A, and a scurvy. <laughs> Call them shirt things. A scurvy shirt. <laughs> I was calling it a scurvy shirt. No, I don't know. Frilly shirt. A frilly shirt. That looked, I did. Yes. That's right. Anyway, oh, you know what? Something just come back to me about that whole time. Yeah. Because there was a song in the in the in the play. Right? Oh, there was yes. a song in the play. Oh, it's coming back to me. It was called He, and it was about God uh, guiding Captain Cook oh. across the stormy seas in search of land. Right. Yeah, mm. and so I was supposed to sing this song and it was in the most ridiculously high key. I couldn't get anywhere near it. So my dad, who was a professional musician, you know, sax yes, and that's clarinet right. player, yes, yeah, yes. he transcribed Ted, the entire yep. piece of sheet music by hand. Yeah, Ted, good old Ted, spent good hours Ted. on it. Oh. And so I rocked up to rehearsal with it. Well, I wouldn't say I rocked up. No, I reluctantly dragged myself to rehearsal <laughs> with the nun, the sister who was playing the piano. And I said, oh, look, you know, Dad's transcribed the music so that I can actually sing it. And she yeah. said, well, I'm not playing it in that key. Oh, and charming. <laughs> I know. And I said, but sister, I can't sing it the, in the really the high, high key. Yeah. And I look, I don't know that a song about Captain Cook and God guiding him on his journeys was a number one hit. So she may have actually written it herself. Self. I don't oh, know. yeah. But anyway, so she refused to play it in that key. Oh, so That's I very think, Christian of her. I know. Yes. So I think what happened mm. was some poor girl had to stand behind the curtain and sing it while I as I Captain Cook. I vaguely remember yeah. that because I, of course, had to shine the light on well, you. You did. All the time because you were the yeah. leading person. So I mind um, it. Oh, and that's reminded me of another thing. Yeah. I couldn't see anything. Oh, yes. During the whole time. Yeah, because it's – well, a lot of performance are that don't – No, so, no. Because why couldn't you see – oh, because you have Coke particular, bottle glasses? Yeah, no. <laughs> well, I wasn't allowed to wear them. This sister – I mean, occupational health, health and safety was non-existent, right, because she said you can't wear your glasses. Now, okay, they were 
Edna Everidge style of the they day were. with rhinestones. I in remember the, in them the, on the in corners. The corners. Yeah. They so, were very attractive. Yeah. I, I thought they looked, made you look very intellectual. Well, you know what? Yeah. I wasn't allowed to wear them. And the, no. the, just going back to, to the song, right? Yeah. So it did happen on the night in the ridiculous high key. So why this nun thought that it was okay for Captain Cook to sound like a soprano is beyond me. But, yeah. And then I suppose the double whammy would have been if I had worn the um, Edna Everidge style glasses with the right <laughs> That's right. It would have been. You, you wouldn't have. It wouldn't have. Yeah, it would have destroyed the effect that it made you look like Captain <laughs> Cook because we all knew you, right. you had such a resemblance to him. Exactly. So, so I've got no glasses on. I can't see two feet in front of me. No. And I've got some person shining a spotlight in my eyes as well. That, that, but that would be you. That was me. Yeah, <laughs> I was that. doing that. Yeah. So I thank was, goodness yeah. I, I had some sort of makeshift uh, mast and, and sail. And I remember I had to kind of hold on to that and rock rock a lot so that looked like the sail was billowing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, God. At least I had that to hold on to. Do you think anyway. it was terrible? <laughs> I'm sure it was awful. <laughs> Do you think it was awful? I'm trying to remember now if it was good. But everyone said it was good. Did and they clap? I, I, think, I think there was clapping. I can remember being up on some terrible trestle thing trying oh, to get all the That was always as precarious well. as well. Yeah, because yeah. you were on like tears for the choir part. That's like, right. You, were you in the choir as well as doing the lights, no? No, no. And it always happened that someone standing on the choir rises fainted. You just hear this thud. Oh, there's another one gone. <laughs> Isn't that incredible to think back to those days? But it was really bizarre. Why? Yeah. Why we? Uh, so anyway, we met in geography. I remember that, and yes. we started talking about Monty Python. We did, and that's how we bonded. We did because we used to laugh so much at the madness of life, which which we're still doing. But yeah, oh no, Monty Python was great. It came into everyone's world at a fantastic time because. There were things that were happening in the world. I, yeah. You know, like you think about nowadays and you worry about the future. But I remember, you know, well, well there was a Cuban missile crisis mm. when we were only in grade three mm. when that was going on. But I still remember the, the absolute um, furor around all that and the um, and the worry that was going on in yeah. families. Absolutely. But the 60s were really, um, yeah, the times were changing so much that people were frightened the older generation were much were frightened of, so they put on plays about Captain, Captain Cook. Cook. What were they frightened <laughs> of? The I Beatles. The Beatles. Oh yes, remember mm. the Beatles came in with their yeah. long hair and um, remember everyone loved one of them. You know, we, now we're going off well, track. Only over. one. There was only one Beatle that was loved. Well, one Paul of them. McCartney. No, you, you all. Oh, no, 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 no. You had to go for George. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, that was – John Lennon was just unreachable really. Mm. But George seemed to have a really nice manner. He I was humble. He was humble or something, yeah. Well, he became a Buddhist and didn't he? No. Oh, wrong, wrong, wrong. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that either. Oh, my sweet Lord. Oh, I don't know. What was that about? No, anyway, we won't We've go gone off track. How unlike us. Yes. Um, we okay. were talking about how we met. Yes. What we're trying to get at here yes. is that we are going to talk about a book that we did in 2017 because we were after a creative pursuit. Yes. And we put together a book about um, Melbourne's western suburbs in the 50s, 60s and 70s, just memoirs. That's because right. They're now so different and we wanted to kind of, you know, grab onto some of those stories about what life was like back then. And that's right. we'll talk about the book in, in a minute. Yep. But as a result of that book, we were invited back to Mount St. Joseph Girls College in Altona to talk 
at the International Women's Day breakfast last year. And also at the school on that day were notable journalists, uh, Josephine Cafania and Lena Caneva, who are also lovely friends of ours and former students of Mount St Joseph. They contributed a beautiful story each to uh, our book because they grew up in the western suburbs. So it was lovely to see them on the day at Mount St Joe's as well. That's right. And oh, how amazing is that school, Karen? Yes, it's it's absolutely fabulous. And the staff and the people in the office, everyone was so wonderful. Wonderful. And uh, the facilities and the best thing was we didn't think we'd sell many books after our talk, but we did and we were, you know, yes. signing books and all that. And the principal came up and said, we need more books. Where are your car keys? And there's the principal, you know, running to the car and grabbing books for us. It was, yeah. She was just wonderful. wonderful. It was. It was a wonderful experience. So, oh, it was really good. So you, sometimes you can go back to schools and it's not so successful. No, but it was but, just but fabulous. But this was just wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So and, about and the book. Yes, about the book. We'll talk oh. about it in the big brain bit. Oh, yes, the big brain bit. Here it comes. Here it comes. Ooh. The big brain bit. Now, we mentioned a book before, and this is the big brain bit. And a really interesting part of thinking, I think, Karen, is memory. And our book was about memories. In fact, it was a collection of memoirs from growing up in Melbourne's western suburbs in the 50s, 60s and 70s, as we did. That's and right. it's called How the West Was Won, O-N-E. Yeah, important to do that. Important <laughs> to spell that, that out. Because it was a movie. And John Wayne's <laughs> not in our book. No. No. <laughs> uh, that's right. So we started out just with family and friends, asking them for a story, and we decided to do it for a charity, and we're so glad we decided on this charity. Yes. Is Western Chances. Now, Western Chances was established by Terry Brax, AM in 2003 and Terry had been a teacher in Victorian state schools and she knew the potential of young people and she also knew that there are a lot of young people still in the West who don't have the financial means to fulfil their potential. That's right. They might be aspirational, they might want to go into a profession but they can't afford. No, and as we know, with our parents. Well, that was us. It was yeah. us. It was a struggle. And, of course, university is just seems like this light on the hill for so many people yeah. and they can't get there and they have to go and get a job to help out with the family. So that was what we grew up with and we also, um, like Terry, wanted to help kids who were having a go and wanting to make something of their lives. Yeah. That's right. And it's not just yeah. kids who are aspirational to sort of be a doctor or a lawyer or no. anything like that. Some of the young people that Western Chances helps – are talented musicians or visual artists or they're really good at sport and their parents can't Mm -hmm. afford the gear or the tuition fees or whatever it is. And Western Chances don't just hand over money and that's it, see you later, good luck. They really form amazing networks around these young people. The the names are put forward by teachers or principals. Then Western Chances basically wraps its arms around these young people. That's a lovely image, Sue. That's true. Well, they do. And and they're lovely people. We know them all. They are the best (laughs) people. We're not going to mention anyone because I don't want to overlook anyone. They have wonderful volunteers as well. Yes, they do. But they nurture Mm. these young people and they give them mentors and they build networks, as I said. Yes, and they keep – supporting them through university or TAFE colleges or wherever they decide yeah. kids decide or to go. Do their I dance programs or That's their musical right. journeys, Beyond whatever it is. secondary school. Absolutely, yeah. So we went along to one of the scholarship ceremonies That's and right. we've seen yeah. where some of these young people end up oh, and it marvelous. is incredible. Very so one of them might be operating on one of us <laughs> That's <laughs> in right. the near future. <laughs> we never know. But, uh, you know, so Western Chances is just fabulous and uh, if you've got any spare cash, just hop onto their website – 
Yeah, yeah they're supported generously. by uh, by lots of people like us and businesses yeah. and and a lot of businesses that had connections or people that made money working and living in the West. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. have mm. supported Western chances. Yeah, and so with the sales of our book, uh, how the West was won, because of all of those generous people giving us their stories about growing up in the West. We've been able to um, hand over over $10,000 to Western Chances. In fact, I think with the ticket sales from the Willy Lit Fest for our session there, it might be nudging the 11000 So that this is just a public acknowledgement of all those people who were generous enough to give us their stories. So thank you very much. And originally, this was going to be a pub story. It was it? going to be a collection a of pub, pub stories, stories from uh, the Railway Hotel in Yarraville, etc. That's right. And But it sort of morphed more into just general stories about growing up in Altona and Yarraville. Yeah, and, and, and then we broadened it. Yeah. Seddon. To the west <laughs> and northwest. Newport. Yeah. Yeah. All those bigger. places. Yeah. So all those places. And... I'm just going to read what we actually crafted to try and um, explain to people what this book was, which is still selling, by the way. I can give it a plug now for The Sun. Yes, at The Sun Bookshop in Yarraville and also at a wonderful cafe gift shop in Barclay Street, West Footscray called Post Industrial Design. And you can also still buy it online at www.howthewestwasone.com. Dot com dot au. Yes, so you can actually still buy this book and contribute money to Western Chances. Yeah, all but money from the book now goes to Western yeah, Chances it all goes because in. the costs have all been paid. dusted. Yeah. yeah, but we decided to write a forward so we explain what this book is about and here it is. It's called A Sense of Place by Karen Howie and Sue O'Brien. Mm, that's us. How the West Was Won exists because of the enormous goodwill and enthusiasm of a bunch of people who decided to tell the unvarnished stories of their childhood and memorable years. In these stories, there is an intrinsic desire to celebrate a sense of this place, this large basalt plain to the west of Melbourne. We acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who are the first inhabitants of this nation and the traditional custodians of its lands where we live, learn and work. For thousands of years, they have told their own stories of the power of country. In the post-war migration and industrial boom years, those of us growing up in the West knew the freedom of childhood during those mercurial times. We knew all about the battlers because we were the kids of the battlers. Our parents, family and friends worked in the abattoirs, the chemical factories, the manufacturing industries, the transport hubs and the pubs. We knitted our communities together with hard work and laughs and shared a sense that we were unique and a long way from those manicured suburbs over the other side of the Yarra. And we learned so much during this about memories. And that's why this is in the big brain bit. They're non-linear personal mm. recollections and they're dreams and they're tied up with so much. We, we started to learn more and more about how dreams and memories and everything are all tied up. And anecdotes, just those great little stories. So they don't always start at the beginning. Chronological order, I've got that right. Yeah, <laughs> I think you have. I, I forget yeah. it. These are just a collection of stories that are not academic. The pages haven't been through the fact checker, so no. we're a bit worried that some of them might not be quite as factual. But they're people's accurate. memories. That's right. Yeah. They are people's memories. Mm. And sometimes they blend in and run into each other. I mean, we did have a problem. I remember you saying to me, no more Billy Carts and no more. No. What was it, Guy Fawkes Night? Guy Fawkes, Cracker Night. Yeah, because mm. they were a bit seminal to people's lives. That's Everyone right. knew Guy Fawkes Night and also, yeah, 
and making billy carts was mm. just such a thing. And people say, well, why the western suburbs? But we always used to say that when people who grew up in the western suburbs meet each other, there's this amazing connection and a strong thing about, about growing up. It was hard to put your finger on it. It really coalesced around the bulldogs, the doggies, your mm, favourite team. Yep. I must say I'm not a big fan. Oh, no, A lot of people had this amazing sense of this underdog world. You get excited when you meet someone, when you're our age, yeah. you meet someone who grew up during those times in the West, you go, oh, the Western suburb, and there's this thrill and excitement about it. It Every, is. People are proud of it. And that's how the, we felt that the West was one. Yes, in, in one a, in a O-N-E. But the other thing too mm. is the beautiful John Harms did um, yes. a forward for this and he was the publishing consultant. He was absolutely he amazing. Was yes. Sports journalist and he's got, right. he's got a million hats he wears, yes. the footy almanac. Anyway, John Harms was our publishing consultant and we couldn't have done this without him. He grew up in Queensland in working class upbringing and he's a bit younger than us too, Karen. Yes. But he related to all of it and it's not just if you were brought up in the west that you might like this book or you might or it might the stories might resonate with you if you had that sort of upbringing then we shared so much that's you right. know whether you came yeah. from Broadie or Collingwood or Fitzroy that's right, Fitzroy, that's right. you know it was all similar it's, I it mean was in, yes and lots the thing of factories I, <laughs> and, and that's right and the other thing is that it's these are the stories that aren't told Mm. We were really concerned about that. that yeah, that, that because was, the that, historical societies do great oh, work. Oh, they do. They great do. work. Oh, yeah, Footscray. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah we've, Footscray we've, in particular. We, but and, these are um, anecdotal. They are, mm. yeah. And, and it's just having them in a collection somewhere. When when we started to Google what is there on the western suburbs and where, you know, what what's out there, that became interesting too mm. because more more people are doing their PhDs and doing right. work on it but yeah. we just thought these stories, we've got to capture them now or they won't be told. That's right. And there are some mm. great Facebook pages now. I won't go into yes. them. You can find it. But uh, yes, there where are. people, you know, post a whole lot of beautiful photographs from back in the day in the yes, West. and in the West. Um, yeah. yeah, just some of the quirky things that happened back then. That's right. Now I am going to introduce the lovely Karen Howie and she's going to read a couple of excerpts from her beautiful story called Going Back Home. It's about Altona when she was growing up. This is a story from How the West Was Won. In our newly minted western suburbs housing estate homes, the mums managed the money and dashed into each other's houses to pool resources when there's nothing left to eat, especially if it was the day just before payday. Our Dutch neighbours had a magical European exoticism with their Van Gogh prints on the wall, the cool jazz they played and the packages that arrived from Groningen filled with wonders like chocolate hail and Dutch licorice. But money for them was also an issue. Dad would take out his little GP33, which was a backyard wooden clinker-built boat, and that was when the snapper was running in Port Phillip Bay. Very early on Sunday mornings, our concrete laundry troughs were full of pinkies and giant silverback snappers, their tails would be flapping over the edge of the troughs. My siblings and gawking local kids pushed in their googly eyes and I felt a bit sorry for the fish up until the point where I ate them. But then the best bit was later on when we would grandly tour the neighbourhood with our gifts of buckets of very freshly filleted snapper which was so welcomed by all our neighbours. And here's another excerpt from Karen's story going back home. I found the Altona Public Library while riding my second-hand fixed-wheeled bike 
the one that Dad had painted yellow, around Altona. My bike allowed access to Enid Blyton's famous Five Stories, Ivan Southall's books and Harry the Dirty Dog for my little sister. I was astounded that you go somewhere quiet where there were hundreds of books and it was all for free. Thus began my lifelong love of books and libraries. However, when I wasn't at the library or doing balancing acts on the floor beams of the half-built new houses or rummaging through the builder's rubbish looking for treasure, we, the local gang, we'd go all together to the far end of Altona Bay, the western end, for more adventures and to make cubbies. We were a close-knit group of kids, six or eight of us, and we lived near Nick's garage. Nick, the Greek, as he was affectionately known, was actually from Cyprus and he was always memorable for the novel way he acquired a wife. One Saturday morning, I'd gone next door with Dad to get the kerosene for our kitchen heater. Unusually for Nick, he was all dressed up in a new suit and Dad said that he looked very smart. Nick then showed us a grainy photo of a very stoic-looking Cypriot woman. He informed us that she was to be his new bride and that she was arriving at Station Pier, Port Melbourne, that very afternoon and he was off to pick her up. Nick had never met her and his mum was to explain later, he doesn't even know her from a bar of soap. I did lie in bed that night and think about the unusual marital arrangement, but it seemed a great success. As far as I know, they had two children, a very happy life together and Mrs Nick brought lovely baklava to the garage on Fridays. And now Sue's going to read one of her stories from um, How the West Was One. I've just convinced her to do this because it's lovely. Oh, thanks, Karen. Thank you. On Saturday afternoons, Mum would walk me to Val Anderson's School of Tap and Ballet in Willis Street, Yarraville. We'd make our way down Anderson Street, always stopping to have a gander in the window of Fred's Emporium. The dance classes were held in the Rickabite Hall and I can still remember the chaotic din that punched us in the ears and the face every time we walked inside. Toddlers would be screaming and tearing around the wooden floor, but somehow the classes continued in the midst of all the madness. I loved tap dancing, but I wasn't all that keen on ballet. I found ballet points to be excruciating and tutus totally unflattering, way too much netting for a girl who was a bit on the chubby side. Tap dancing was my thing. However, one Saturday afternoon, while I was feverishly tapping out my hop shuffle one twos, my love affair with tap came to an abrupt end. My energetic tapping had drawn Val Anderson's attention to something. Val pulled my mother aside and suggested that it might be time to buy me a supportive upper undergarment. Val was a lovely person and she didn't announce this to the world. She quietly mentioned this to Mum. But somehow, over all the noise in that little hall, I heard Val loud and clear. I was mortified and I felt like my breasts were pumping up before my eyes. I didn't know anything at all about puberty. I don't know whether teenagers in leafier suburbs were more educated about the facts of life in those days, but to say that my 1960s West Suburban Catholic upbringing was sheltered is a gross understatement. At one point my mother did purchase a sex education book with a catchy title that read something like Girls, You're Important from the stall outside church one Sunday. What a letdown. The most exciting thing in the book was the length of time an engaged couple was allowed to hold a kiss. It was only a few seconds from memory. It's good for you all to know that. I never went back to Val Anderson's dance school. Mum didn't try to talk me out of my decision to leave. She was probably quite relieved, as she had never been a natural dressmaker 
and would often let a few swear words go when she was wrestling with lyrics fabric or sewing hundreds of sequins. Oh, Sue, that was lovely. Oh, thank you. Just (laughs) gorgeous. And now, exciting, we're going beyond the front door to another country. Beyond the front door. Oh, now, we're going a long way beyond our front door. We've both visited Japan this year and we've both had fantastic holidays in Japan but very different holidays. So I'm going to start with a few observations because my holiday was only 10 days and uh, it was more of a touristy sort of holiday. Now, and so and you were in Japan a lot longer than 10 days. How yeah, long? Yeah, nearly you, three weeks. Yeah, we, oh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. but and you had a, a much more adventurous holiday in Japan. Yes, yes, we did the walks, the Nakasendo Way, but um, I'll tell you about that. That was in Interesting. We didn't do all the walk. We just did the best bit. Yeah. And then we went to a monastery to with the monks uh, at Koyasan. Um, and, yeah, quite adventurous. We went off the beaten track a little bit. Yep. Good. And you're going to uh, tell us all about that in Episode 5. So I am. I'm just going to give you some observations of Japan. Now, the first thing about Japan, when you get to Tokyo uh, Station, if you can get your head around that, then you can do anything in this world, I think. Oh, I totally agree with you because it it, it was just amazing. It it's was like just, a city. It is underground a whole city, underground and it just city. goes on and on. And there's art galleries and museums, and it's it's a it's nothing like a station here. And it's a very good test of your relationship if you travel with someone to navigate Tokyo Station. It is quite <laughs> quite big. Oh yes, and uh, the signage is very interesting because sometimes it is in English, but it doesn't seem to make any sense. It just had west, east, and I arrows. Know. Couldn't interpret a lot of things. Lots there. of arrows. Japanese of arrows. love an arrow. They do. <laughs> and and the thing talk about talking about Tokyo Station um, testing your relationship. Do you find Karen that when you in, in particular go on an overseas holiday, there's always a couple of days in that argument. Oh, the holiday something. fight. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah but just an that. argument mm. over something stupid. Oh, yeah, it'll like, be, be stupid. Yeah, because of course the thing is, when you do go on holiday with a partner or even a friend or whatever, you take yourself with you. So it's a bit, and you're in each other's face twenty four seven. So that may be very different to how you live at home. And yes, little niggles can grow into something bigger. I mean, my <laughs> husband and I hardly ever argue. We really don't because we've been together for thirty nine years, and who can be bothered? That's right. right. So we don't. <laughs> it's a lot of energy to argue. But yeah. an overseas trip, two days in, there's always that little bit of a niggle and then you're having this argument about something as ridiculous as a tea bag and that's right yeah you get through it because you realize you're being stupid but i can't even blame we did have one argument like that but i can't even blame that on jet lag because you know traveling to japan you we traveled overnight However, yes, but you had that seat. Oh, well, the seats were so small and yeah. honestly the cushion was cut like with a, a laser. It was so thin. <laughs> and right. I could virtually feel the frame of the seat. I felt like I could. Because, I, Karen, in case you haven't noticed, I have no bum. Yeah, I can, I can tell you about this, listeners. She doesn't have a bum. Well, I had a bum and it's sort of migrated. It's moved around to the front of my body now. Yeah. So that's where it resides there. permanently. That's right. That's right. So I, I do have a bum, though. Yeah. <laughs> so I have, Sue doesn't. I now have a bony non-bum, and so that didn't wasn't too comfortable on the airline seat. So I didn't sleep mm. one week. So there, there's a little bit of a lack of sleep involved in that argument. Yes. But yes. anyway, I'll move on. Now Japan welcomes you not just with open arms, but with open toilet seats. 
I knew it. We were going to talk about the you toilets. You knew it. We have to. They're so <laughs> exciting. <laughs> well, that's right. And truly, I know it sounds like a cliche talking about Japan and toilets, but Honestly, I was never prepared for them. No. They were just so amazing. Sue's <laughs> so going to tell you all about well, them. Well, even in the stations, you've got these high-tech toilet seats that, well, in some circumstances, when you open the toilet door, the seat rises up for you. I, I found that a little bit I too much. I know. Oh, well, that is too much because I didn't get one of those. Oh. And I'm really upset that <laughs> that didn't happen to me. But the toilets you visited had lots of buttons and music oh, and we had options. Music and, and we had the sea. I know there was one that I kept trying to change the, music, the station, like whatever it was. Yeah. So I got something else besides the crashing wave. <laughs> Because I didn't think the crashing waves were doing it for no, me. No, no, you want a bit of Beethoven or something. I did. I wanted something a bit nicer. Yeah, but anyway, the the toilets are really, really high tech in in the main stations and uh, in the sort of nice nice hotels in Japan. Well, even in the cheap hotels, or we even the cheap, in a cheap hotels. One and did they you? Had, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had the um, temperature control oh. on the flush. Did the you have bottom. have the hot puff of air at the end? No, I never oh, got a hot that. Was puff a highlight. Of I did get a hot puff of air, but I did love the fact that I could adjust the water that was um, the, the douching my bottom, <laughs> and there was female douching and male douching. I know. I found I, I couldn't work mm. those diagrams out, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> so I think I did a bit of both. Good. On. Anyway, mm. so that toilets are fantastic in Japan, yes. and also you wouldn't think that a convenience store is your best friend in Japan, but they are. You can go and get. Your cash there, uh, you can get beautiful yogurts and fresh fr- fruit. Yes. That, oh, the pink grapefruit, unbelievable. Little tubs of fruit. They're not like the canned fruit that we get. No. Absolutely beautiful. The food so, there is amazing. Yeah. You'd never, I've never had such wonderful food. But you don't forget you have to take you have your blue basket. Oh, in the convenience store. That's oh. right. Oh, yes. You know, th- there are rules. Can, there are rules. And the conformity in Japan – is quite amazing. Well, I was a standard by this. Um, we got into so much trouble because Ooh. we actually walked up to the cash register without a blue basket, without our goods in a blue basket, and the manager had to come over and yell at oh. us because you have to put it. You have to go around and put your items in the blue basket. Mm-hmm. Put give it to the register. They transfer it to another blue basket, and Gosh. then you take that blue basket away and. Um, Get your uh, goods out. But, oh, no, there was a huge issue. Massive. Well, yeah, follow yeah. the rules. I mean, yes. Japan is one of the safest places you could ever travel. That's, it's, that's it, true. You, know, you leave your wallet behind and someone will run after you to, to return yes. it to you. Yes. It's really, yeah. really safe. But they do have rules. They like a rule. Yes. Um, and it's good to, to follow that so you don't get in trouble. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and cause, cause a, you know, kerfuffle. An international incident. An, yes. an international <laughs> incident, that's right. Look, one of the other things that I really noticed about Japan mm. was how proud people were oh, yeah. in their work. Mm. And, and one time, Karen, we went to a department store, a great big multi-storey department store, and on one of the floors there was a guy in a beautifully – uh, clean uniform with a white hat and white gloves, and he had a pair of tweezers. And he tweezers. was, yeah, he was going around. His job was to pick up like bits of lint with the oh, tweezers. Isn't that incredible? And he was happy, and you know, yeah, so, so so proud, proud. of his job. Yeah. Everyone does their job well, and they're proud of it. I that, mean, they yeah. work long, long hours. Oh, anyway. terrible! The the work, yes, it, and it is a real issue because. Um, you you alerted me to this. You know that you'd see the lights on in the um, oh, in the high rise office uh, buildings. Office yeah, buildings. like ten, eleven o'clock at night. night. People still working. They're and still I, there. Yeah. I'm yeah. talking to some teachers. They work sixty hours a week. 
that's just normal. And I'm thinking, gee, you know, a very different work ethic. Well, we're getting a bit like that in education <laughs> here too. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. But, anyway, uh, look, I had we had the f- most fantastic time in Japan. Uh, we just found it so easy to get around. I would say that a lot of the stations being underground – Sometimes your phone doesn't work, so your Google Maps doesn't work or whatever. So it's a really good idea. This is a tip, a hot tip. Hot tip. And I gave this tip to you, Karen. You did. Um, to get a portable um, Wi-Fi device, like an eConnect or something like that. You you get them online. I did that. I, yeah. It was great. They we deliver it. it to your hotel and mm. it means you've got Wi-Fi and you can you can get around. Yeah. Look, that was the best tip ever because we, we did exactly that. And it actually saved us on a number of occasions because we would get totally lost. And the whole thing about addresses in Japan, and I can see everyone nodding out there who's ever mm. lived in Japan yes. or travelled in Japan. And indeed, I read um, there was a, a famous writer, I think Pico Ai, whose name is, yeah, his wife's Japanese They and him and his daughter and his wife all give different addresses for where oh. they live in Kyoto. <laughs> They've all got a different idea oh. about the address. Yes, so good. good. That sounds great. <laughs> <That's right>. Well, <laughs> well we don't have a tip about how to get around that, but just be aware of it. Yes, right. be aware so, about addresses. It's, okay. They're very difficult. And, yeah, but the eConnect is excellent. That was most most helpful. All right. So we're going to leave episode four now. Wow. And uh, Yes, I know. What a big episode. Oh, it's a we huge episode. A, we did heaps. We did. We hope you Been enjoyed it hard. there. Yeah, um, we hope yeah. you did. And thanks for the feedback. People have said, oh, it's great. We yeah. love you. <laughs> so please uh, give us five stars. Yes, yeah, so that would be fantastic. And yeah. subscribe because subscribe. then you know when the next episodes are available. Yes. So we'll see you next time, time. in episode five. Bye. Bye. Bye.